Well, I'm glad you're here this morning as we uh, continue on our study of the Psalms. We're looking at uh, book four, and the first Psalm in that book is Psalm 90. It's the only Psalm that's attributed to the man Moses, the man of God. Uh, who knew Moses was such a poet after being such a prosaic lawgiver? Anyway, we're going to be reading out of Psalm 90. If you want to turn to that passage in your Bible or on your phone, look that up. And we'll be looking at what Moses has to say, the wisdom that he gives us out of a life lived before God for 120 years. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German theologian who died uh, near the end of World War II in prison camp for his efforts to get Hitler out of power, said when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. That sounds pretty inviting, doesn't it? Come and die. So I always think about this sign series I see coming into Okeene, Oklahoma. I know I've mentioned it before, but it's so good, so succinct. Driving into Okeene, Oklahoma, and there's a cathedral there. I don't think the bishop lives in that place anymore, but there's a big cathedral in Okeene. It kind of towers above the city. But coming in, there's a Burma shave-like commercial on some fence posts. It says, life is short, death is sure, sin the cause, Christ the cure. Amen. Let's go home. That encapsulated, doesn't it? Life is short. Death is sure. Sin's the cause, but Christ is the cure. That's basically what Moses is addressing as we look at him today. He's a man who's walked with God for 40 years. 40 years he was in a palace. 40 years he tended sheep in the wilderness. And 40 more years he tended people like sheep through that wilderness. He was God's shepherd. He was God's leader of God's people. He knew God well. God said that, you know, I visit with other people at a distance. I speak with Moses face to face. So if we look down over the kind of the timeline of the Old Testament, Moses is kind of head and shoulders above everybody. This guy is really something. God called him and shaped him and moved him until he was free to lead in many ways. Nevertheless, as he writes this psalm, he's looking back over those 120 years, and he's probably thinking kind of like Jacob did. You remember when Jacob got introduced to Pharaoh in the Genesis chapter 47? He said, Pharaoh said, how old are you? He said, ah, he said, few have been the years of my life and really tedious and full of trouble. I'm 130. He lived to be 147. Job said, man is born to trouble just like sparks fly up from a fire. These guys are a bunch of downers, aren't they? You know? You ever read Ecclesiastes chapter 12? One of my favorite books is Ecclesiastes. really like reading through there. Kind of identifies the way that I've lived my life and finally came to my senses a little sooner than Solomon, but it took me a while to come to my senses. And it talks about the aging process. It talks about what biologists call senescence. You know, biologists still don't know why our cells get to the point where they don't reproduce correctly. They don't understand dying. But we understand dying. We have to die because sin has polluted the race. It's polluted us. And these bodies have to get out of the way. No man can look upon God and live in this body. But anyway, we have this picture in Ecclesiastes. It reminds me of a lot of myself in the last several years. Your eyes get to where you can't see clearly. Got to get glasses. Next thing you know, it's bifocals. So I got to go to Steve. Steve's saying, man, you're blind as a bat. No, he didn't tell me that really. But, but I got to have bifocals now. I got, I got hearing aids. I don't wear them on Sundays typically because I got all this other stuff on my ears, mask, you know, microphones, everything else. It's like, it looks like that. And so... I try not to wear my hearing aids too much on Sundays. But your eyes dim, your, ear, your hearing grows lower, your teeth don't work. 
Your grinders wear out, is what Solomon says. Your aches and your pains, you begin to lose your balance. You got a little palsy. You ever have a little palsy? A little palsy. I was noticing the other day, I was holding my pen kind of like this, and my hand was jiggling. I thought, wow, what's the deal with that? Arthritis begins to take over, and man goes the way of all flesh. Every man goes that same way. This really is a downer, isn't it? No, it's, you know. But God's got some great things to say, and Moses is looking back down. He's 120 years old. He's had a hard life. I don't think he wants to live it over. Martin Luther, when he got close to dying, he was 63 years of age, which is a long life back in the 1500s. He got close to dying, and somebody had spoken to him a few years earlier and said, Brother Martin, I'm praying God will give you 15 more years. Brother Martin looked at him and said, I don't want 15 more years. I want to go and be with Jesus. I want to go and be with Jesus. I want to see him. I want to look upon his face. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Man, that's attractive, isn't it? Doesn't the, doesn't the Spirit of God in us cry out to God, bring us home, Jesus? And no wonder Paul says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let's bring this thing home. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And so we're praying that all the time. But in order for that to happen, we've got to endure death. So I want to walk you through this psalm we're going to read here in a minute. And as we look at that, I want you to think with me as Moses was thinking about how desperate his situation was. God had already told him, Moses, you sinned against me. You struck the rock. You dishonored me before the people. I can't let you go into the promised land. But isn't it great that God did take him and buried him personally? No man knows where Moses was buried. God took his friend, took away his body, took him into his presence. To be absent from this body is to be present from the Lord. Can you see Paul saying that in Philippians? To be absent from the body. Oh, he writes in 2 Corinthians, we may be wasting away on the outside. We may have arthritis. Our vision may be deteriorating. Our hearing may be dropping. We may not be able to walk up steps like we used to. Our balance may not be what it used to be. But inside, inside, we are being renewed. We are being strengthened. We are being made ready for God. And so Moses speaks in these kind of terms. And as we read this psalm, I want you to think about this, this great thing that God is doing and how he does it in a very unusual way. So let's pray together. Father, we look to you today. We ask you, God, help us. Help us, Lord. You are our help in all things. God, you are our life and our breath. For us to live as Christ and dying is going to be great gain, God, beyond anything that we can imagine. Come and give us another taste, God, another urgency, another addition to our hope. As we examine your word today, God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting is a subtitle of this psalm. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years 
to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. That's my wife's unfavorite song. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. But it's going to happen. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses starts out in a good place. He starts out like a good Presbyterian. He starts out with adoration. He starts out speaking about the splendor of God as a dwelling place in all generations. That God is from everlasting to everlasting. So I've been teaching a series in Sunday school on the Ordo Salutis. That is the order of salvation from eternity past to eternity future. It's been really stretching for me. I've had to do a lot more studying and thinking than I typically do for Sunday school class. And I come across this idea of God's aseity, that God is the only one who is. He's the only one who is. He has being in and of himself. He's always had that being. He always has been. He always will be. He does not change. You and I are becoming. We are all derivative we all come from God. We will go back to God. We have nothing in and of ourselves. We wouldn't be here if God had not spoken and brought all things into being. And not only that, but he upholds us by his speaking word even right now. He upholds all things by the power of his word. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He alone is. He is I am. We are becoming. We are either becoming something of great beauty and glory or something that will be so degraded that we could not stand to look upon it. But we are becoming. It's how we respond to God. What are we becoming? God is from everlasting to everlasting. He has always been our home. In Him we live and we move and we have our being. Whether we acknowledge that or not, every living person, every person who has lived, ever will live, or is living today, is in the sound of my voice. Everyone who lives lives and moves and has their being in the grace and the life of God. Nothing exists apart from God. Moses knows that. He sees that. He understands that. Two and a half to four million people and all their livestock coming across the Sinai. Moses was very familiar with the Sinai. He'd spent 40 years there herding his father-in-law's sheep. Now he's herding this group of people as large as the city of Chicago across a wilderness where there is not enough food for a family of four. Man, they didn't have a Starbucks. I would have, I would have, been, I would have been groaning and moaning and whining and, you know. But God provided for all this livestock and all of these people. Is that amazing? So amazing. God's so mighty, so powerful. He is. He is. It is a wonder. It is a wonder. Moses wonders at the glory of God, the power of God. He wonders. I wonder sometimes, do we wonder about God? Do we wonder about Him? Or do we just take Him for granted? Do we offer our prayers up to Him and say, God, come on, give me what I need. Come on, God, you've got to come through for me. Or do we wonder 
that God is supporting us, giving us air to breathe. Our hearts beat. We walk out into nature and we enjoy what we see. Do we wonder at the might and the being of God? Or do we take him for granted? Moses didn't take him for granted. Moses went under the sentence of death and he still wondered at the goodness and the greatness of God and how he longed to come and see God. You know, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. It says a few psalms later, Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord. I've wondered at that. I've heard it spoken at funerals. I've even used it, you know, precious in the sight of the Lord because God can really not embrace us totally until we shed this old nature. We can never come into his presence like he designed us to be until we shed this old nature. And it's precious to God that we do that. And then he can take us into full embrace. And then we can become and be in his presence all that he intended for us to be that had been forfeit in the garden. Wow. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So Moses wonders at this, his last days, as he writes this. Then he says this in verse 3, he speaks about us. You return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man. We are like a watch in the night. We are like a wisp. We are like a vapor. We might live 70 or 80 years. I've got an aunt that's going to be 107 in six months. 107. But I can look back 25 years and I can look forward 25 years, kind of. Man, 25 years was yesterday. It was yesterday. I remember it really well. But my body can't do anything that was doing 25 years ago, hardly. I walk pretty good. I eat well. But a lot of other stuff I can't do. I can't run anymore. I can't work eight hours out in the yard anymore. I can't do that. Time goes so rapidly. Moses is 120. Look at how humanity is degraded. Adam, 960. Methuselah, 969. Then after the flood, 600, 500, 400, 300, 200, 170 or 80. Or by medication, 95. But we are short-lived. We are a vapor. We are a vapor. And it is the wrath of God. Listen, when the Bible says that God is, He is all He is all the time full bore. He is gracious and He is just. He is merciful and He is wrathful. He is tender and He is tough. Everything that God is, He is. He's not like us. We're totally out of control. We're out of balance. We blow up over stuff. And then we come and have to say we're sorry. God never has to say sorry. God will never apologize for His wrath. His wrath is just. It is true. And it will last for all eternity. The pit The bottomless pit will be smoking for all eternity as a testimony to the justice, the righteousness, and the wrath of God against all sin and sinners. Forever. Forever. And in heaven, the glory of the goodness of God upon His saints will endure forever. His mercy and His grace will never end. But God's doing away with the sin. These old bodies got to go. This old flesh. There's nothing good in us. We can't sanctify it we can't bring it up and make it obey we can't teach it like a dog come on impatience heal no impatience has to die come on come on lies get back no we have to put our foot on those sins and God takes us forward we're we're killing ourselves day after day 
when God calls a man, he bids him, come and die. If anyone wants to follow me, Jesus said, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. So God's wrath is against sin. It's against sin in us. And these people are realizing that. And Korah and Dothan and Abiram realized it too late as the earth opened up and swallowed them. And the wrath of God was perfectly demonstrated. They got what they deserved. We don't want what we deserve. We want the mercy and the grace of God. And so we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray that because we understand that the wrath of God is extended towards sin. We don't want the wrath of God. We want the mercy of God. And so we pray that. I hope you pray that. I hope you realize that. If you're, if you're not praying that today, you need to start praying that. Pray for the mercy of God. You don't want the justice of God. You don't want the righteousness of God to come down on you like a hammer because it's eternal. It's forever. But God has provided in Christ Jesus that the wrath has been swallowed up in his death. Who has known the fear of the wrath of God? Only one man has known the full extent of that. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that's ever known the fullness of the wrath of God, and he experienced it for me and you so that we will not have to experience that. We don't have to experience that. Jesus experienced that wrath for everyone who believes, for everyone who looks to him and lives. And though they die, and though they live their 70 or 80 years, yet they will not ever die in the presence of God. And this is why Moses, even though he understood the wrath of God that had been expended against the children of Israel, he lived by faith. He lived in the hope of that day. And he knew that promised land that he was standing on Pisgah and looking at, he knew that wasn't the real promised land. He knew the real promised land was in the presence of the Father, and he knew that he would go there. He didn't complain that his life was being taken physically. He knew that was the delivery into the presence of God. For him to live was God, and to die was going to be gain. Is that what you're looking for? Because there's nothing else that's worth looking for. Doesn't matter what the world says. Doesn't matter what's advertised to us. What matters is what God has said. And Moses is speaking this truth, that God is a wonder, that even in his wrath he would take us to himself and make us his own. How wonderful is that? That's the most wonderful thing that we could express or know. So he says this in verse 12, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. To get a heart of wisdom. What is a heart of wisdom? Well, it's ultimately Christ Jesus. He has been made to be our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification and redemption. To do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before God, that's wisdom. To take God's word as our directive, to take it in, to eat it, to meditate upon it, to speak it out again. This is wisdom. This is the wisdom of God that he provides for us. And so Moses says, teach us to number our days. We've only got 70 or 80. How can I employ these days to your glory? You know, if you're like me, you've got a bunch of wasted days behind you. I've got a bunch of wasted days. And some days I get up and I say, God, I want to do better. And I try to do better and I still waste time. I still waste my days. But I keep coming back to God because he says, come to me daily. Keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. And so I keep coming, and this is wisdom to come to God. This is the wisdom that Moses is praying, that we come to God, that we see him face to face, that we let him speak back into our lives, that we read the book of Proverbs packed with wisdom, packed with wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own insights. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh. 
refreshment to your bones. Wow. It's almost like God's going to turn the clock back, isn't it? It's better than that. He's going to give us an eternity of being with him simply because we've decided to walk with him in this life, submitting our lives to him. So teach us the number of days. We may have a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Now listen to this. We begin to worship God in verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Teach us to number your days. Satisfy us. I like this in verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Isn't that a great prayer? John Piper's got a great prayer that he came, this, this outline he, he came up with years and years ago. He calls it his IOUs. IOUs. I incline my heart to your word, God, not to selfish gain. Psalm 119, 36. Incline my heart to your word, God, not to selfish gain. Oh, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things out of your law. You unite my heart, God, to fear your name. Take all of my heart, God, grab it, grasp it, encompass it that I might fear your name, unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 86, 11. And then this one. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. What a great prayer. The prophylactic against everything that's going to come after me today. That everything I come against, it's going to be a protection. If my heart is full of the love of God, I'm in good shape. Satisfy me with your love. Early in the morning, God, satisfy me. Fill my heart up so that there's not room for other stuff to get stuck to me. There's not room for other things to invade my compassions, my desires, my affections. Satisfy me in the morning with your steadfast love. And so we worship this God who, in the wonder of his aseity, of his being, has brought us into the life flow of eternity, calling us from the foundation of the earth that we might be holy and blameless in Him and working with us in this process we call sanctification. When I was in in graduate school, I had to do a a lot of scarification of seeds. You ever scarified seeds? You know, some seeds, they just have such a tough hole on them that they have to be damaged in order for the life to come out. They have to be worked over. Most seeds, when they fall into the ground, they got the freezing and the thawing cycle. They'll break open and they'll take shoot. But some seeds are really tough. The human flesh is really tough. God has to scarify it. He has to bring us through affliction. This is why David said, it was good that I was afflicted. It was good that I was afflicted. Then that hole broke down, and that way I was able to offer myself to God fully, and he came into me more completely. It's good that we're afflicted. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials. Oh, not that again. No, it'll be again and again until we get it. Not that again. In this you rejoice, even though for a little while you have to be tried and tested. Even though God is scarifying us, he doesn't do it because he doesn't like us. On the contrary, he does it because he wants what he's placed in us and he wants to have greater fellowship with us. And so he scarifies our life. And when a seed drops into the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And so you and I learn to bear fruit even while we're being scarified, which is a Miraculous thing that only God can do. He closes this psalm 
in the idea of our work. He says in verse 16, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And he will. You know, when the saints enter into the presence of God in the book of Revelation, it says they'll be wearing these white robes. These white garments are the good works of the saints. Isn't that something? Where did these good works come from? Oh, God prepared them before. That's right. God prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Let your good works be seen so that people might know your heavenly Father and might glorify Him. God not only watches over our works to perform them, He gives us the works to do. Isn't that an amazing thing? And He gives us the grace to do them. It's God from first to last. This God who is, is making us become like Him because Jesus always went about doing good. That's what His calling was, to do good. To present God, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons, to bring the kingdom of God in the year of Jubilee into the present. And then God brings us into that stream and we bring back to God and ask Him to complete what He's begun in us, His good work, His good work. And He will bring to completion what He started. So our question is, the question that you and I have to answer is, has God started a good work in me? How am I doing? Am I allowing him his freedom in me? Am I like Moses? Can I look back over and say, God, you are wonderful? And even though this has been difficult, even though, as John Piper might say, a lot of things in life are a bitter providence, God, they've worked out to good. You take everything and work it together for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. And so we look back. We can look back like Moses. Do you have a history like that that you can look back? It doesn't have to be a long one. Just can you look back? Can you look back and say, yes, this has been started in my life. Yes, I want more of that. Yes, I will yield to the discipline, to the good discipline of God that yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness when it's finished. Let's pray together. Father, we again come to you, God. We humbly come to you. We thank you for your word. This is your word, God. This is your voice speaking to us when we open it. It's you, God, brooding over us, sitting beside us, counseling us with your hand upon us. It's your spirit within us, God, unpacking what you've inspired. God, it's your finger writing on the tablet of our hearts. We thank you for your word. God, that the heavens and the earth will pass away, but this word, God, will endure forever. And those who have yielded to this word, who have been birthed of this word, born again in this seed, God, will live forever. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your goodness, God. We thank you for your being with us. And so we commend ourselves to you now, God, as we are, where we are, with all of our foibles, all of our failures, God, we commend ourselves to you. You who said you would receive us when we come to you and call upon your name and truth. We call upon your name in that name, God, the one who is true, Jesus Christ. Amen.